grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series that's called, Called, Here Am I, Send Me, based on Isaiah chapter 6. And today, Pastor Sean Azaro reminds you that you are called, you have a purpose for the kingdom. Isaiah responded to his calling at the altar of sacrifice, which involved a burning piece of coal, which set him apart. We need to be set apart from this present dark culture. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The name of this message is called Burning Coal. Pastor Sean is teaching from Isaiah 6 and Leviticus 6. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Well, as I was getting ready for the message this morning, just thinking about kind of where we're going to go in this series called, I, I kind of came across something in myself that is, you know, just it's probably not unique to me, but I kind of have it on hyperdrive. And that is, I like my freedom. I don't probably, if I asked any of you, you nobody's going to go, no, I don't like freedom. I prefer someone oppressive kind of controlling me. <clears throat> nobody's going to say that, right? But I really like to have my options open and to have freedom. It's kind of part of my temperament, part of my personality. I was even raised kind of without that. I grew up on a farm and, you know, my dad, uh, he didn't believe in hiring people to do the work. I have sons, my gosh, you know, (laughs) they'll do the work for free. Okay. Being forced to work for free, I believe it's called slavery, but we didn't get to kind of claim that or anything. We just had to do it. Okay. And I mean, it's nonstop because it's, it's, we were horse trainers. We'd have 30, 40 horses at a time. And you don't even get to go on vacation, you know, because it's not like you can just get a house sitter, okay, give him, here's the list, here's, you know, 20 bucks on the table, and, you know, feed the, the, all the animals. You can't do that. So I don't even remember a vacation as a kid where we didn't have a horse trailer on the back of, of our vehicle because just some way associated with, with the horse business. And so it's nonstop. And I have to tell you, for me, growing up, school was almost like the vacation, because on Saturdays and in the summer, it would just be, come on, boys, get up, we're working. And it was never a list. I can handle a list. Okay, I got to do these five things, and then I'm free. No, 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 no. I was, we were going to work till dad stops, and he never stops. He's still out there somewhere, you know? <laughs> it, it, it just, it, it's just the way it is, you know? Um, my friends would come over. I'd have friends over. And before I could go do anything, they'd have to work. I mean, <laughs> I think that's wrong. <laughs> Brilliant, but wrong. I mean, they literally, they, they'd have to, we'd have to work, and, you know, and then, then we could go do something. And so I, I really was, because I, I didn't like, you know, I'm not, I'm not really in love with manual labor. I do it when I have to. I do what I got to do to take care of things. But my thing was, give me a list, I'll get it done, and then I'm out. Okay? Well, I didn't get to do that. So when I graduated, I was like, never more, never more, never again. You know, I, I'm, I, my thing was, I'm going to be free. I don't want anyone controlling or having a claim on me. And I don't want to control anybody else. I want to just go kind of, and that, that was something that was in my, kind of in my spirit a little bit. And it's funny, as I began to follow Jesus and I began to understand, wait a minute, God has a claim on our life. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And that's something, because I'm not the only one who really likes freedom. I think we all do. And that can be a good, healthy, balanced thing, or that can be something that we kind of have a little bit of an overboard on, 
you know, kind of like me. And I, I think that's something that God has to deal with. Now, we're in this passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 6. So turn your Bibles there. I'm going to pick up at verse 6. Remember, we've, uh, we've read each week, so I'm, I'm just going to pick up verse 6. starts out in the year that King Uzziah died. Remember, the prophet sees the vision of the Lord. And he's high and exalted on a throne. And it's just this majestic vision of the heavenly creatures crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. This incredible scene. And you remember his response. We talked about this last week. His response of, woe is me, I'm undone. He didn't stand up and kind of shout and celebrate and jump in on the worship service. No, he saw God for who he really was, and his response was, oh my gosh. Not only did he see God for who he was, he saw himself as he was. And his response is, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I want to see where it goes from there, because this is a really significant, pivotal part of the passage. Listen to this. This is beginning at verse 6. After his confession, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Take note of that. A burning coal he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he, hold on, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to what you want to say. Help us to discern the truth of the passage. Help us not just to hear a teaching, but help us to hear from you. I pray that you would speak to us, and I pray that we would be transformed by your word. I pray that you would move in our hearts and give us the strength, the courage, and the wisdom to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've walked through this this passage thus far, and we've seen that we are called. Not necessarily called to be prophets, but we are called. Every single one of us. God has that, whom will I send, who will go for us? Last week, we looked at this idea, before I can answer my call, I have to address my need. That's what was happening when the, the prophet saw himself in the Lord's presence as he truly was. He had to address his need. And the passage we're looking at this morning is actually that need being addressed. I want to just look at this unique picture of a coal, burning coal, he says, a burning coal off the altar being touched to his lips. Now, here's the deal. If you're new with us this morning, maybe a friend dragged you here and you're just placating someone, God bless you. Great to have you here. Maybe you've never heard this story before. I just want to say you have a bit of an advantage over some of us. Because those of us who've heard this story many times, and we've heard lots of teachings on it, this is a a pretty prominent passage of Scripture. We can just go through that and go, ah, yes, the burning coal touched to the lips. Ah, that's beautiful. And not actually stop and listen to what is being said. No, with tongs, a burning coal from the altar touched to our lips. That hurts like a lot. Okay, I don't need to do a demonstration, you know, I thought about it, but no, that would get bad, you know, the smell alone. I, I'm, no, I'm not going to do it, right? I mean, burning coals, we have some people in these crazy, you know, leadership retreats where they try to walk across on hot coals. In fact, a self-help seminar in Rohrbach, Austria, had some participants, and they urged them to walk over hot, fiery coals. The purpose of the exercise was to mobilize their energy reserves. Let me tell you, going over hot coals would mobilize my energy reserves. I'd find reserves I didn't know I had right? The course motto was, if you can walk over hot coals, you can do anything, which maybe it's true. I, you know, it's good premise. 
The participants faced a 32-foot-long bed of embers. Seven people who took the barefoot walk discovered something terrible. Fiery coals can burn bare skin. Who knew? Who knew? Hit with agonizing pain, they ended their walk with a trip to the hospital where they were treated for severe burns to their feet. You're like, wow. Here's the deal. You know you actually can walk across burning coals, but you've got to know the secret. Okay? These guys doing the seminar must have just had a lot of faith and thought, they'll do it, I know, it'll be great. Okay, certain types of wood actually burn cooler. And there's certain types of wood that will help you be able to do this. You wait 20 minutes after you set the coals in the coal, and they get good and hot because it burns the moisture off. And dry, the dry wood, the dry coals, doesn't transfer heat as well. And so it's a little bit cooler to the touch than the coal that is wet. You can put, you put a layer of ash over them, and that acts as an insulator. It's still hot, but it is bearable if you walk quickly and walk a certain way. Well, obviously, these guys didn't get the memo. They didn't try to train the people right. So they had the burns. But I mean, as I think about the obvious thing, well, yeah, you're going to get burned, this picture of the coal off the altar touching their lips comes to mind. How are we supposed to understand it? That is not a typical picture. That's not something that you just kind of read over and go, oh, yes, that's beautiful. I'll make the, make the application in my life, you know? You kind of have to go, what is this about? And I think to understand the coal off the altar, touched to the lips, you've got to understand what the altar is all about. You have to understand the altar. What we're talking about is the altar of God, which was central to Hebrew worship. It was the place of sacrifice. It was the center of the tabernacle and the temple. Again, this is, remember, this was about atonement of sin, so we are talking about the altar. And the altar was that place where every single sacrifice would be made and would be offered to the Lord. And that's the altar we're talking about. The Hebrew word is mizbeach. And what's interesting, that is from the root zabach. And you know what that means? It means to slaughter. See, the altar's not a game. The altar's not a game. It's really important that we understand this. Everybody in the Old Testament understood something about the altar. If they'd ever been to the worship, if they'd ever been to the sacrifices, they knew one thing. The altar always wins. The altar always wins. It never compromises. It never negotiates. The altar wins. Whatever is put on the altar, whatever that sacrifice is, it results in the death of the sacrifice. That's the altar. You know, if I would have known that as a kid, because I grew up in a, a... tradition where we went up and had altar services. We went up to the altar to pray. Come to the altar. If I would have known this, I would have been like, whoa, whoa, time out. And and by the way, I would have probably understood what I was doing a whole lot more. I would have understood the significance of the altar and what it meant. And what's fascinating about that, when you understand what that altar was and where this coal was coming from and the touch, do you realize, and this is really significant, in a very real sense, the imagery of this vision presents the lips of the prophets as the burnt offering. It's like the prophet wasn't placed on the altar to be sacrificed, but in a very real way, his lips became the burnt offering, which was offered. And remember, he said, this has touched your lips and you're forgiven. But that wasn't all that was happening. He, representative of his lips, was being put in that place of the burnt offering. And that's no small thing, because the offering on the altar always dies. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called The Burning Coal. The series is called Called, Here Am I, Send Me. 
which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer, but I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message of the burning coal. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. In Leviticus chapter 6, beginning at verse 24, we learn a little more about the burnt offering. Look what the word says. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron and his sons, they were the priests, they ran the ministry of the tabernacle. Say to Aaron and his sons, these are the regulations for the sin offering. This is how the sin offering is to be handled, these sacrifices, if you will. The sin offering is to be slaughtered before the Lord in the place the burnt offering is slaughtered. It is most holy. Make note of that phrase. It is most holy. You're going to see that a couple times in this passage. The priest who offers it shall eat it. It is to be eaten in the sanctuary area, in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Very specific. Part of the meat for these offerings was allowed for the priests as their provision. But it was only the priests, and it was only to be eaten in the specific place, in the specific way that was regulated under the law. It wasn't just like they were you know, giving some freezer wrap meat. Go ahead and take this home. Okay, it was a very specific thing. The yard in the tent of meeting. Whatever touches, look at this, whatever touches any of the flesh will become holy. Whatever touches it. And, and it's not, you know, they're really specific. If any of the blood is splattered on a garment, you must wash it in the sanctuary area. Can't take it out. It is holy. The clay pot the meat is cooked in must be broken. Because why? It is holy. But if it's cooked in a bronze pot, the pot is to be scoured and rinsed with water. Because like the garment, it is holy holy. Any male in a priest's family may eat it. It is most holy. But any sin offering whose blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place, different piece, different idea, it's brought in to make atonement in the holy place must not be eaten. It must be burned up. So very specific idea. Not only does the burnt offering die, not only does the thing on the altar die, but understand something, it is holy to the Lord. It is holy, it is set apart for his purpose, it is his from that moment forward. So the coal touching the lips of the prophet made a powerful statement. One was just plainly stated in the passage, you are forgiven, but there's another statement that was made. You are forgiven and you are mine. You are forgiven and you are mine. You are now holy to the Lord. Your lips and your person, your heart. Isaiah, you are holy to the Lord. And you would have understood it immediately. Because the coal off the altar, he would have known what the altar meant. He would have known that's the altar of sacrifice. He confesses his sin. The sin is atoned for by this touch. Your sins are forgiven. This has taken away your guilt. But implicit in that act is, and you are mine. 
You are forgiven and you are mine. He was consecrated and holy before the Lord, set apart for his purpose. And I want to suggest to you, every single one of us, when we go to the altar, you know what the altar is for us? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the altar where our sacrifice was made. When we accept Christ as Savior and he forgives our sin, there is that same idea of your sins have been brought to the altar. You are forgiven. But understand something. You are mine. You are mine. Some people are like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't hear all that. I just, I just heard about, man, Jesus died to forgive my sins. And, and it, didn't his grace just take care of all that? And kind of now I can go do what I want? Absolutely a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. The whole idea, you know, we use this theological term and we talk about substitutionary atonement. It means someone else was a substitute and paid my debt. That's what that means. Jesus was the substitutionary atonement for us. In the Old Testament, that lamb, that spotless lamb, would be a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the people. But under, they understood clearly, that's my place. I'm the one supposed to be on the altar. I'm the one who deserves the death penalty. And when we come to the cross, we understand, whoa, whoa that's my cross. Jesus took my cross. He's paying my penalty. He is the sacrifice for my sin. That's not his cross. That's mine. And he took it for me. The sacrifice took the place and represented the life of the one bringing it. And so Christ died on our behalf, but understand, that brings to light the New Testament theology that the Apostle Paul taught. Look what he taught in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. He said, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We understand this idea of being raised with Christ, don't we? In baptism, we understand Romans 6 tells us that when we are baptized, literally it's like, it's like you died with Christ and we're buried with Christ in baptism. We're buried with him. The old person who you knew before Christ, the old Shanazar, that person's dead, buried with Christ. Because my sins are buried with him. But a new person is made alive in him. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, new has come. So there's that resurrection. Baptism represents the death and the resurrection, death of the old nature, resurrection of the new nature in Christ. So that's what Paul's talking about. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you have died. Like, wait a minute, but I'm right here. I'm fine. No, no, you have died, that old person who was lost in sin, has died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. My old self dies with him, but this new life filled with his presence, forgiven and set free, is raised with him. See, Christ died for us, but the scripture says now our life is hidden in him. We live in him and he lives through us by his Holy Spirit in us. See, this is the secret of being holy to the Lord and being set apart for his kingdom. And the prophet learned a powerful lesson. That illustration of the altar and the coal, he knew exactly what was happening. That coal touches me, I'm forgiven, but I'm holy to the Lord. And he understood something about his calling. And I want to suggest every one of us has a calling and has the very same implications. If you're taking notes, write this down. Calling isn't just an invitation to serve. It is the declaration that I am set apart as his. See, calling isn't just an invitation to serve. What Jamie just issued with those great volunteers, especially the pretty one in the middle. <laughs> what, they, what they talked about is an invitation to serve, and it's an awesome thing. But calling is something much deeper and much bigger. See, calling is the declaration that I am set apart as his. It's not just calling to an assignment. It's a calling to him. I'm his. I belong to him. See, that's the idea that the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. We love this passage of scripture, but I want you to take a look at it in light of this 
set apart this holy unto the Lord, this declaration that I am his. Look what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, really important phrase, because of the mercy of God that you've seen and you've experienced, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's urging us to offer our bodies, our actual life, it's our hands, our feet, our days, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Make note of that phrase. We'll talk about that in a minute. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is or your calling, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Man, people all the time talk to me and they want to know how to discern the will of God. Yeah, I want to know what God's will is. You want to know how God's will is? Become a living sacrifice. See, it starts there. Oh, I don't know about that. I just want to know his will for like, because I've got some time. I've got some free time. And I want to know what's God's will for Wednesdays between, you know, 6.30 and 9.30. Because that's when I want God's will. Other than that, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm booked. That fails to understand. That, that is a miscommunication on my part. If, if you think that's okay, I'm here to help set the record straight. There is this sense whereby we belong to him. And in that place, this place of living sacrifice, this place where we understand and we begin to discern our calling and we begin to discern the voice of God. I want to suggest this Romans passage is the key and lays out some key understandings regarding being holy or being set apart. Here's a few things. First, being set apart means my life is not my own. It means my life is not my own. That's what the phrase living sacrifice means. It means I belong to him. You realize we are all, we all belong to him twice. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to God twice. One, I belong to him by virtue of the fact he's my creator. He created me. He created me. He made me. I owe my life. I owe the air I breathe. I owe it all to him. If we believe anything that we talk about here, anything in the word of God, we understand. He is the creator. He created all things. He gave us life. In him we live and move and have our being. So I'm his. But then when mankind sold ourselves into the slavery of sin, and when we walked kind of in the footsteps of Father Adam and Mother Eve, and we were sinners, Jesus Christ gave his life and bought us back. So literally, we are his twice. My life belongs to him. I don't have to die like Jesus did, but I do have to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. This idea of belonging to him is so specific and significant in the New Testament. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, I'm picking up here at verse 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in us, our bodies, so this is our, the physical part of us that lives and walks and moves, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He makes this crystal clear. Jesus bought you, redeemed you, and you are not your own. He lives in you. I am his. He says it in chapter 7 like this. He really hits on this theme in the next chapter as well. He says, the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. He's talking to actual literal slaves. 
And he's saying, even if you find yourself as a slave, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you begin to understand something bigger is going on. You are not simply a victim of your circumstances. You are set free in Christ. Yeah, but I'm still a slave. He's teaching that there is a way to overcome, a way to walk and live differently, even if you are a victim of the social injustice we call slavery. But look what he goes on and says. He says, similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. He's like, you need to understand something. If you think you're free and you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you've begun to walk in him and been filled with his spirit, you are now Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human being. Well, we would go, well, no way. I'd never become a slave of a human being. That's ridiculous. Well, we don't have the institution called slavery any longer. But I want to suggest we become slaves to human beings all the time. Anytime we become the slaves of someone else's opinion of us, and so we start jumping through the hoops to please them, we're letting ourselves become a slave. Anytime we become slaves to the highest bidder, and we will compromise everything we are to the highest bidder, we become slaves to men. And there's all kinds of ways that we can lay our lives down at somebody else's feet and be jumping through hoops for them. And and Paul's saying, no, no, you're, you're the slave to one, and that's Christ. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in this series that's called Called, Here Am I, Send Me. It's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.